My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 95 of Legally Clueless. It's so wild to think about A, that we're five episodes away from 100 and that the podcast has come such a long way. (laughs) And I'm so grateful that you are listening and a part of the fam. If this is your first ever episode, make sure you join us on our Insta page as well, where it's nothing but positive vibes at Legally Clueless Podcast. And if you're going to chit chat about the podcast on Twitter, I personally love to eavesdrop. (laughs) I am not ashamed about this and it would make my eavesdropping easier if you use the hashtag Legally Clueless. (laughs) But I'm so excited for this episode because the story that is featured, I recorded it, I think, back in October of 2020. And the story has sat with me since, not only because it's inspiring, but it's relatable for me personally, especially when it comes to issues to do with losing my mom and battling this weird monster that is grief. So just a heads up, the story does talk about grief. And so if you're in a space that you can't handle that, you may want to hit pause (laughs) and come back to the episode at a point where you can handle the story. Here's a bit of what you can expect. I'm actually the youngest chief administrative secretary in the Ministry of ICT, Innovation and Youth Affairs. My mom and my dad got divorced when I was very, very young. That's why I don't like calling my stepdad because he was the dad that I never had. My late mom got diagnosed with cervical cancer. So I told him, my name is Nadia Ahmed Abdallah. Why? He's like, the president has actually mentioned you on TV. And I'm like, the president? I was able to go with my mom to state house and get sworn in by the president. And I walked into the room and my mom was gone. And Adele, after a few moments after like she passed on and we covered her face, when we uncovered her face, she had a big smile on her face. And so for us, we usually buried right then and then. So we did everything we buried. And Adela didn't cry until on the third day. I've had situations where I have cried in the toilet, I have washed my face, powdered up my face, and really came back and sat through a very high-level meeting. The storyteller is actually the youngest chief administrative secretary in the Ministry of ICT here in Kenya, so... That's like something to look forward to a little later in this episode. So I hope your holiday time was absolutely amazing and, you know, you're easing back into (laughs) normal things like work. (laughs) You know, the funny thing is, normally by this time of the year, I would be so sad because it would mean going back to a job that I hate or a routine that I completely hate. But I was telling my friend Seba this yesterday that I've been having this festive energy (laughs) for such a long time ever since like I started the podcast and like changed my life around that I don't have like the January blues per se so it's like more like there's been a warmth around me all 2020 and I've been peaceful enough to receive that warmth so whether it was good times or bad times I just felt there's no other word warmth around me so the holidays didn't feel different and so I'm not having holiday hangups. And I've, oh my God, I realized this towards the end of 2020. I don't dread Mondays anymore. I have the same energy on every day. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I have the same energy across Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And before, oh, I used to dread Mondays. Sundays, I used to be like, 
it's like somebody who's preparing to go for a funeral but i'm just so happy that i got to a point where i love the life that i've created for myself and i just have this good energy throughout and I'm at such peace that I can receive and feel the warmth all around me. And if that's what you're working towards in 2021, it is not easy. But trust me, it's super, super fulfilling. Also, something I'm super excited about is I have finally made a booking for my writing retreat. Hmm? <laughs> so let me rewind a bit. Ugh, just to explain this madness that is fear. I'm a poet. Discovered poetry in high school, was writing for forever. And then over the last 10 years, just kind of didn't share as much of my poetry anymore. Out of fear, out of not having time. But also, I just never thought that poetry is something that I can do, you know, as a thing. And yesterday, again, I was talking to my friend Seba. And we were just having like <laughs> loads of wine, but conversations on like life, death, health, love, sex. We had like karaoke sessions. But we also talked about, because she is a fine artist. She's even shared her story on this podcast in past episodes. And we we're talking about how after we turned 30, we became, I refer to it as I came home to myself. Reason being, I came back to that 20 year old who loved doing certain things like poetry. But then at the time, everything around me didn't have space for that. And you're trying to fit in and you're trying to do things the way you've seen others do it. And then you hit 30 and you realize, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> like who I was at 20 was actually pretty dope and so you come home to that person and I think that's what's happened especially with my poetry so you know 2020 I did a collaboration with my friend who's a DJ and a musician from Malawi and one of my poems was actually I performed one of my poems on her EP and then Seba we collaborated so my poetry is actually in some of her visual art pieces and I was really writing a lot more towards the end of 2020 just submerging myself in poetry and then one day a very close friend of mine sends me this link and it's a bunch of short films done by black creators and one of them is a short film that is a poem and I was like this is so interesting like I found how my poetry can live in music can live in art pieces and this film thing was so intriguing to me that I was like "Ooh, let me start learning different writing techniques for my poetry with the aim of one day having a short poetry film and working from home is a bit hard to find a space to write because <laughs> the apartment is also my office <laughs> so I don't know how to switch off and get into a corner and write you know so I thought about it and I was like oh I have to go on a writing retreat like just go on a solo trip write 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 with no expectations nothing just like dump it all on this piece of paper, well, on the laptop. <laughs> but while you're away, where you can really be one with your thoughts. So I was like, yeah, I'll go on a writing retreat. Then I started saying, oh, but the place has to, it has to be a cottage. Just listen, listen to my demands. <laughs> the foolishness. It has to be a cottage that has a pool and it has to be like a one bedroom. I don't want those cottages where it's many, many rooms. I can't do 
and it needs to be like not too far from Nairobi, which is where I stay, in case you do not know. Also, not too close, because I want to feel like I've left. I had such silly demands that were contributing absolutely nothing to what I was, or what I am going there to do, which is write. And I was like procrastinating. My friend was asking, have you found a place? No, imagine. The rates of the place I want is too high. <laughs> the place I found doesn't have a pool. <laughs> You know, when I really sat down with myself, like summoned myself to a meeting, like, please gather your life. I realized when it comes to procrastination, you really have to investigate what is fueling that procrastination. Is it fear? And for me, I think that's what it was, where if I go for this writing retreat, I am committing to writing. I'm committing to poetry. That's very scary to me. Yeah, so I was having fears around that and it just hid in procrastination and in stupid things like I've not found the perfect cottage. Like what the heck is the perfect cottage? So I just got on Airbnb, found a really good cottage. Fal was going to drop me, but I told him, no, it's fine. Let me just, even if I'll get lost, which chances are I will, let me just drive myself. Let me, let me just do this for me. Let me do this for my poetry and let me commit to doing this. So I finally like booked the week, booked the place. And I'm going to write, which should be really fun. I feel like this is like a gift to myself as well to reconnect with this thing that I absolutely love. And if you're currently procrastinating when it comes to doing a particular thing, just like sit down with yourself and ask what emotions could be fueling the procrastination because maybe it's fear. Maybe it's fear. So let's jump into the song of the week. I absolutely love the song, even though I cry so hard every time it plays. <sighs> Because it, it, it really reminds me of my mom. So the name of the song is Another Lifetime. It's by now. I've put a link to the music video in the description of this episode. It is a beautiful love song. And <laughs> you remember when I told you grief has taught me so much about love to the point where when I hear like, you know, those deep love songs, like where somebody like when you listen to another lifetime, you'll understand like where somebody because of love chooses something so uncomfortable or you can just hear how broken they are over love or how fulfilled they are because of love. When I hear those love songs, like not the intimate ones, I automatically think about my mom. So this one is called Another Lifetime. Make sure you check out the music video. And I did actually on our Instagram page put out a list of 20 of the songs that had been featured on this podcast last year. Someone then, oh well, quite a few people slid into my DMs and like, oh, you should make it into a playlist and blah, blah, blah. So I'm trying to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> because also when I looked at, you know, playlists are meant to give you a mood. You know what I mean? There's, there's a tempo. Uh, it's meant to carry you from point A to point B. And so when I looked at all the songs that were on Song of the Week last year, man, I was all over the place. Because like one minute it's like music that you can write to. And then it's music that's great for road trips. And then it's sex. <laughs> Soundtracks. <laughs> There were quite a few of those. 
Ayado. Yeah, so I'm just like, how do all of these songs exist in one playlist? It would be a very confusing playlist for you to sit down and listen to, to be quite frank. So I'd probably have to come up with like three playlists. Yeah, so I'm 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 thinking about how to maneuver that. Let's jump into the 100 African stories. I'm so excited to finally share this story with you. It is by Nadia Ahmed Abdallah. She's the youngest chief administrative secretary in the Ministry of ICT here in Kenya. And I just love that she takes us through her life so beautifully and she opens up such vulnerable spaces to us. So you learn not only how she got to where she is now, but even things around grief and such... Such intimate details that really did touch me. And I, and I hope you find something in this story for yourself. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. My name is Nadia Ahmed Abdallah. I'm actually the youngest chief administrative secretary in the Ministry of ICT, Innovation and Youth Affairs in the Kenyan government. I am from Kenya. So I grew up on the coastal line of Kenya, which is Mombasa. I was born, I was raised, I schooled there. Basically a beautiful uh, island because of the different cultural, I would say cultural influences that we have. The culture there is a bit conservative. I usually found myself the black sheep among the white ones because for a very young age, I had my own perception of things. I had my own ways and thought process. At the young age of 13, I had two people in mind that I would love to be like. One was Oprah Winfrey and one was the late Kofi Annan. Because personally, at a very young age, I admired how communication used to like solve issues and problems in people's life. And at the same time, I used to admire how humanitarian elements really bring together people and you know just solve issues. I used to love challenging the status quo. I used to love challenging being a young Swahili woman in that particular area and being able to just be different and stand out. By the same time, my confidence level was not really as right now. I used to always want to fit in and this had a lot to do with, you know, growing up if in a mixed, uh, I would say in a mixed family because, you know, my my mom and my dad got divorced when I was very, very young, I think about two or three. And then my mom got remarried again. And, you know, I was raised by my stepfather, which I think is a very amazing thing because he raised me and shaped me to who I am today. But at the same time, I, as a young child, I used to always think about why is it that I don't belong in a normal family setup? Why is it that I'm doing things differently? Why is it that I cannot conform to the cultural elements and elements and pillars of the the place that I'm at and you know as a young person and in the community we're in we're not really allowed to talk or question or shape ourselves in different ways because there's really a thin line between what you want as a child and what your family and your culture and your society has already paved the way for you uh my parents worked so hard to get me to school so I I went to primary went to secondary I did my university and I also did my master's so on that side my family made sure like education was the most important element in my life and what helped me is I used to journal a lot I used to really write I was to write dear diary this is what I feel dear diary that's what I feel dear diary why is it that I don't fit in you know why is it that I get bullied because of my weight why is it that I cannot fit in and to be as in a certain cultural background just because I'm from mixed races. Why can I not have my own cultural uh, foundation and just be accepted for who I am? So I was in primary school and, you know, I've always been a chubby young 
girl and i do i can't remember which class it was but there was a cartoon playing um i think on tv that was called fat dog mendoza one person said you know you look like fat dog mendoza and you can imagine you know you're going through <laughs> all the puberty that you can experience and then someone calls you that and so that really really dented my confidence because i was always thinking why why was i born you know a, a chubby child and why is it that i cannot like be with others and in fact i was chubby by the same time i was a very good swimmer so it had to do a lot with just how my body was built because i used to swim in races and everything but i think the kids at that at that time they just thought that you know what telling nadia something like that is not going to affect but it did so with my real dad and i do remember my late mom and my my stepdad they were never against him you know com me communicating with him in fact they would never say anything negative but it was the inconsistency that he had on his side that made me just detach even more because i think at a certain point he he was trying and everything but it got to a time when he just disappeared and my late mom focused more on how am i going to raise my child and my stepdad stepped in and became a father so for me i wasn't now looking at communicating with him it was more of you know what let me focus on this setup that i already had right now but as i grew up now especially when my mom passed away i think now we we are in communication in in some sort of way and i've learned to let go because i had a lot of anger towards him because how can you be you know alive and still not be able to take care you know to take care of me and i realized that whatever happened did not have anything to do with myself because i think for a very long time i held it to myself i was carrying this burden that maybe i'm the reason why they never worked out uh, and that's why i am where i am and i was so bitter with him but then i realized you know again our parents don't know better they had their own issues and everything so i just focus on just being that and so i was i was very very close to my mom that she was like my mom and my dad and then my stepdad was also my dad so you know you just brush it away i was at my mom's and stepdad's wedding <laughs> I, I don't know what I was thinking back then, but I do know that I was happy for my mother because, you know, she found somebody who not only accepted and loved her, but also loved her child. And this is something that it's sometimes very rare to find somebody who does that. And my relationship with him at the beginning, you know, when you're a young child and someone else comes in, at first you're not you 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 tend to like be very cold and stuff but with time you know my relationship with him became fantastic he became my mentor he became somebody who was when he needed to step in he would step in i remember when i had any issues i would just call him sometimes you know he was always there he would always tell me you know whenever whatever you need you're my daughter whatever you want whatever advice you give and we had these moments where we would sit down and he would ask me you know from a very young age until today he would still ask me are you okay what's going on why are you so quiet I, I like that because i think it was because of the experience that i had you know my mom and my dad getting divorced i became an independent young person and I, a child actually i would say so for me i always knew that if i wanted to do something talk to mommy if i wanted this talk to mommy even if i want something from my stepdad but still talk to mommy first then go to him but then what i appreciate and like and i think that's what solidified our relationship is the efforts that he always used to put and he always used to complain to my mom like nadia needs to open up and nadia needs to talk to me and and tell me so you know he would talk to me about his experiences in life that's why i don't like calling my stepdad because he was the dad that i never had and he stepped in 
every time that I needed him to step in. And until now, when I lost my mom, I remember I was so devastated. And he just said, you know what? The, the dynamics don't change. Just because mom is gone doesn't mean that you now feel like I'm not part of you. I will always be part of you. We are one. So university, oh my God, I have beautiful memories. <laughs> I think that was the best I, I mean, my best experience and university shaped me to who I am today. So I went to uni when I was, I think, 17, 18. And I was fortunate enough to go to Malaysia. So I did my uni in Malaysia. I did a bachelor's in public relations and mass communication. So hence, aka, I like talking and <laughs> all these other things. I remember the first time I, I moved to Malaysia, my late mom took me there. And you know, all your life you've been like put in this in, in this place and you're being told, don't go here, don't do this, don't do that. And then now your parents trust you enough and tell you, okay, you go, we've dropped you, we're going back to Kenya, you're on your own. So for me, the first semester, the first year, I felt like I was in heaven. Like I was able to do the things that I wanted to do. I was able to meet people from different backgrounds and cultural elements. I started a blog as soon as I got to university. I realized that I like lifestyle, so I started lifestyle blogging. Then from there, I discovered that I like public relations, but in a fashion sense. So what I did, I used to like just Google and, and take myself to networking events events that had a lot to do with fashion, with music, with creativity. So I would I would really just link up with creatives of, of different places from Southeast Asia. And that re really just built up my, I would say, portfolio because I was now able to now even travel beyond Malaysia to just go attend events, then come back and write about them. From uni, I with the career that I have, the course that I had, it just opened so many doors for me because one, I was able to even go to Amsterdam for two months and to be a journalist and just to write cover stories about different, place, different places in Europe and compare them with how Kenya is. My minor was in journalism, okay? So my major was in public relations and mass communication. So in our journalism class in the uni that I went to, there were usually different exchange programs that come come to, to class. And basically I decided to just, to just apply for one. And so basically it was write uh, three articles uh, of things that happen in your country as compared to you being in Malaysia. And I remember very well, I chose like food nutrition for young people. I remember I chose, I think I chose mental health and I chose something to do with fashion. And so basically what you had to do, you had to write these articles and then after that you submit them to now. The people who are giving out these exchange programs was from the University of, University of Van Amsterdam. And so I submitted to them. Fortunately enough, I was picked. And basically what you had to do, you had to go for it. I think it was a six or eight eight weeks program you were going to live in the hostel of the university but you were going to now be on your own to go to different places interview people and then come up with articles and so I remember we were like five of us who were picked and we went from get-go. We were from different faculties, but from get-go, we, we clicked with the five of us because one was from Sudan. I was from Kenya. There was a Malaysian. I remember there was a person from, uh, from China and there was an Indian. And so when we went there, we were staying together because we're all from Malaysia, we're staying together. But each of us had different stories to cover. And so the most exciting part about it all is 
there were articles I had, an article I wrote about um, the experiences of refugees in Amsterdam. And I was doing that with a friend of mine as well. So we managed to go to this place, like which was in downtown Amsterdam, where there were refugees who were staying there. So I was fortunate enough to see how refugees from like uh, Northern Africa and also Southern Africa, they experience in terms of how did they cross over and now that they're in Amsterdam, how are they staying, how are they living? And then I remember in 2015, I came back to, I graduated and I came back to Kenya. So I stayed for a while in Kenya and then I realized that, you know what, if I start working, I won't be able to continue studying. So I took the initiative to actually look for a, a, a program, I, my master's. So I did my master's in international relations and cultural diplomacy i did it in berlin so i lived in berlin for three years and so after three years i actually i came back home with the intention of finishing my thesis only to find out after a few weeks being at home that my mom my late mom got diagnosed with cervical cancer and that's when everything took a whole turn in my life you know i i had to like just go back to berlin i had to pack and come back and really now look at how I'm going to be able to take care of my mom, take care of my brother, be there for my dad, my grand. Like being a firstborn, I think at that moment, I had the whole world in my head except for myself. I actually, I was at home. Eh? We were, I was in the garden uh, with a friend of mine. We were planning a mental health uh, event. <laughs> how ironic. And basically we were, we, we sat, we had chairs, we were sitting and we were starting to record. Then next thing you know, first of all, I saw my mom standing at the at the doorway, and she was just looking at us because she's all she used to always be a supportive mother. Even when she didn't understand what I was doing, my mom was always there to like cheer me up. And then I noticed she went, she got a phone call. And when she was on the call, while she was standing, her face changed. So I told my friend, uh, her name was Jamila. I told Jamila, Jamila, I think something is wrong with her and she's like really no i don't know she, i told her no 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 i i can sense it there's something wrong then i see her going to sit inside so i was like no let's go inside so when i went inside she was still on the phone with my dad she she started crying i remember very well she started crying and i was like what is going on mom and she's like no 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 i can't i can't she just kept on saying i can't and i'm like what is going on and then she just hung up and she just told me, the doctor said that my cervix looks very unusual uh, and it could be cancer. Let me tell you, at that point in time, I think I went blank. I didn't know whether to cry. I didn't know whether to hug her. I didn't know whether to scream. And my, my friend came in outside and told me, Nadia, just come inside and just sit with her. And I'm like, I don't even know what to tell her, you know, because... I never in my, like, I knew friends who, who, whose parents had cancer and some had left and died, but I didn't think, you know, you're at that point, like, you don't think, and maybe it sounds selfish, but you never think it could happen to you. You know, you don't see it coming. And she's like, no, no, just come inside. So I sat with her and I told her, mom, you're strong, you'll be fine and everything. But she was such a strong woman that she never liked seeing her kids see her break down. So she's like, no, no, I know it's going to be okay, but you can see she wants to cry. The way I was raised, and I think it's firstborns, yeah? 
I was raised in a way that if there is a crisis, I have to figure out the solution before starting to be emotional about it. On this side, I called my aunt. On this side, I, I was making sure my, my, my baby brother doesn't hear about it because he was doing his O-levels. And then on this side, I was like, mom, it's going to be okay. We're going to figure out a way. And on this side, I'm like, no, we're just going to go to India. Like, I'm telling you, Adele, I was in robot mode. Like, for me, I just needed to deliver because that's the best way I knew how to do things, you know? And so we, we, we worked everything out. She, the doctor, everything went smooth. The doctor recommended her, uh, uh, a doctor in India because he had said that he would try to do something for her, but it wouldn't be complete because there are some, say some things that Kenya didn't have that he needed to recommend her to go outside. And so for me, I just worked on her visa. I did this, I did that, blah, blah, blah. And at the same time, now I knew I couldn't go because I had to go back to Berlin. Now the trip to Berlin was the longest trip of my life. I called my my friends, my two friends, and I was like, guys, this has happened to mom. I'm just coming back for like two weeks to pack my stuff, to pick up anything that I have, to stop the jobs application that I was looking for because I'm going back home. So the trip was so long. When I got to Berlin, the first thing I did when I saw my friends, I just broke down. I was like, how will I do this? How am I going to be able to make it, you know, because mom was mom mom was dad mom was best friend mom was the pillar mom was the one that took all the rocks for me mom was the one who was always defending me when people kept on saying nadia is just a, a weird kid nadia is just this nadia is just that so what am i going to do and i think those two weeks in berlin also helped me out because what my friends did we used to go to the park it was summer so we used to go to the park we used to just chill outside we used to go out we used to go dancing so it really helped me just internalize everything and prepare myself so that I can now go back to Kenya with a clear mind. So I can imagine you're packing three years of stuff in like, I don't know, in two weeks. And so, and at the same time I was, I was writing my thesis and something, I mean, I convinced myself that I would do it, but unfortunately I failed in that, in my thesis. Once I, I submitted it, it was just a mentally excruciating experience for me because I did not see that coming at all all honestly adele things just went <laughs> like mom was uh, going through her her treatment but she was always supporting she would be like yes do that so i i, I before before even getting into government I, I was working a lot with the community on one side i was doing campaigns on gbv doing campaigns on mental health training young people on public speaking skills training young people on leadership mentoring young people uh, coming up with social events at the same time I was doing PR and branding I mean I was doing everything at the same time <laughs> I remember when my mom finished her chemo the first time she used to come to my events sometimes I used to be in Nairobi she used to like represent me in events in Mombasa and then just things changed in January this year and so last year in, I think it was in November, she had finished her six cycle, her six chemo cycles. And basically what was supposed to happen, she was supposed to get checked to see if the tumor had gone because she had a malignant tumor. Now, after she her cervix and everything was taken out, when she went for a one year checkup, they found out that there was a malignant tumor that had, was starting. And basically they put her through chemo. So she did six cycles. The doctor said, do six cycles first. Then from there, we'll see if the tumor has gone, then we won't do it anymore. But if it hasn't, we'll do the eight. And so in November, when she finished the sixth cycle, she she got checked and they found out that it, it's gone. The malignant tumor is gone. 
and so we were very happy and you know at that time I was like yeah we have plans so she was just trying to recover slowly uh and I remember I had to go for some training I had applied I mean Nadia applies for everything and anything so I had applied for some training in China and I I went to China for one month when I came back I came back in in on December in January somehow on 13th if I'm not mistaken or 14th my life changed I'm so grateful because my mom was still alive to see that how did it change um one morning you know a normal Swahili girl in Mombasa just gets a call and a friend of mine asked me Nadia what is your full name because a lot of people used to know me as Nadia Nadi so that was like my stage name when it comes to the videos I do campaigns that I do on the ground it was Nadia Nadi so I told him my name is Nadia Ahmed Abdallah why He's like, the president has actually mentioned you on TV. And I'm like, the president? Like, I've, I I never met the president. I, I never thought the president would ever do that. He's like, yeah, 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 you should check. So the, the video was sent. And I remember calling my mom and I'm telling my mom, Ma, president mentioned my name. And she's like, Nadia, you know, sometimes I support you in everything. But there's some things that you do and say that are just too funny. So right now, please stop stop messing around with me. And she didn't believe me. And I was like, Mom, really? He called me and apparently I got a job and she's like no way just just send me the video so i sent her the video and she's my my cousin sister was with her so my cousin sister tells me like my mom cried so much because she told her that she had worked so hard sacrificed so much just for her to know that i i i will have a, a good thing that's going on for me you know she told my cousin that you know right now if if i even have to go i know i will go with a light heart because nadia has something that will be able to help her sustain herself and her brother and so the the epitome of everything was the fact that i was able to go with my mom to state house and get sworn in by the president and she would be able to see that and i remember she was in so much pain but the lady the lady stayed through the whole day and she saw me getting sworn in she met the president i remember even the president was there and he was informed my mom had cancer so even the president had spoke to her a few words but you could see that she was so happy that after so many years you know after fighting and holding the one daughter that she had she was able to see everything and so a lot of people ask me how did i get into government i did not apply or i did not put my name or i did not lobby this thing for me it just came out of nowhere out of barely nowhere but for me the highlight is the fact that even now that she's in her grave and she's resting she smiles every time because she knows she saw me you know she saw me getting something that she she's always wished it might not have been in government but she's always wished that she was able to see all her sacrifices that she made and basically she passed on on june 5th i mean adele if i tell you how god is so wonderful because he got me to see her because i was in mombasa mind you i was in mombasa when when my mom was now getting worse remember i left i had to go do some work in mombasa and that day that i left in the morning i told her mom i can stay she told me no you know she told me something that really got me so worried she's like you know i've worked so hard to see you where you are today you know so you go out there you go work you go build a name for yourself and you go and 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 try as much to be able to take care of your brother and i just looked at her and i'm like ma i can stay she's like 
like, listen, I'm so sick and tired of seeing your face. Can you please go? <laughs> One of the things that I think I'm working on right now is being expressive. And this is something that I wasn't. So I remember very well when I was leaving, I kissed my mom on the forehead three times. And then I walked out of the room. Then I got to the door and something told me, Nadia, go back. And I came back and I hugged her and I kissed her again. So when I left, she told my cousin sister, she's like, hey, today it's going to rain. Nadia kissed me and hugged me so many times. These are things that I, I don't do like emotionally i'm still working on this because I'm, I'm more of like i think i i show my my love and and affection through things that i do for you rather than like physical touch and all that stuff i remember that time the, the planes hadn't been opened yet i remember Dell. I was in the car and I was heading to Mombasa and I kid you not, I cried the whole way from Nairobi to Mombasa. And I was with my friend in the car and she was like, I just told her, I feel like this is the last time I'm seeing mom. I don't know why. I just had that strong, strong feeling. And so when I got to Mombasa after two days, I was talking to her on video. My sister doesn't tell me that mom was getting worse none of them tell me because my mom was like please don't tell nadia she always had this thing of don't tell nadia i don't want to make nadia upset i don't want to make nadia worried just don't tell her and then when it got to that night when she was worse my aunt called me and she said you just need to come back you need to come to nairobi and i was like how do i come at this point in time it's late and everything i'll just figure out a way in the morning and i remember in the morning i went to my mom's best friend she's like a godmother to me i was there and i told her mom is not okay this and that and she's like yeah we know then i get this call a video call and I see my mom and that was when I was like I don't know what I'll do I'll make mountains move I'll do everything but I need to go to Nairobi and I remember I called one of my very very close friend who's also like a family who is family to me and I told him mom okay so for us we call you know when you're in your death deathbed we call it sacratal mouth and so my mom was in her sacratal mouth her ability to speak was gone she was just like making like you know how when someone is she was just there that you know that this person is going in time and i called my our family a friend and i told him this is what happens they, they i was just like he's just like go to the airport that's all i remember i heard i just i remember i was in slippers my aunt just took a shawl i was my other friend we just i left everything in mombasa i took a plane it was an emergency plane and i came all the way to nairobi adele when i walked into that room first of all everyone's eyes were puffed when i got home yeah when i got into that room my mom was going my mom was leaving but she was waiting for me because what happened was my sister told me that my mom my mom's body had been hot the whole time the moment i just walked in to the room her temperature dropped and literally it was like as if god had held her so hard to wait for her for me to come because when i arrived there that's when now my mom i i, I remember i you know my mom is in her deathbed i remember putting my my head next to hers and looking at her straight in the eye but adele she wasn't looking at me because now she didn't have the the power of of uh, the of speech it was taken away she couldn't move she couldn't do anything she was just moving her eyes so everyone my aunt was in the room and was telling her um her name was salma salma nadia is here look at her look at her and i remember she just moved her eyes and she just looked at me and i just looked at her and i told her mom i'm here but i could see her she was fighting so much you know she fought so much to just stay like i had to whisper in her ear and my brother unfortunately he was in canada at that time so my brother and i were talking to her when he was on video and i was there present 
And I remember holding her hand and and I was massaging her hand and oil and my aunties were praying for her. And my brother was just telling, we kept on telling her, mom, just let go. You know, we were telling her, mom, it's okay. You've raised us to where we are today. We are going to be fine. Because she was really, she really didn't, Adele, she really didn't want to let go. She really was so, fighting so hard to just stay, to just be there because that's what she always does. She she used to always be the type who, it was just her and her kids, okay? But the experience that I went through seeing her from when she she could squeeze my hand to when her eyes could look at me, to when her eyes could not look at me anymore, to when she, she kept on like, you know, she was having those shakes. She was shaking all the time. And then every time she shook, we were praying for her. And then after that, she goes silent a while. And then she takes really deep breaths. And then she's told, Nadia is in the room. And then she's there. And for me, my head was on her bed and was sharing a pillow with her, Adele. So you can imagine, I was internalizing everything. And she fought so much. I remember it was Wednesday. And she fought so much, so much, until when it got to midnight, around 12, uh, 12.31, my aunt, uh, my aunt asked everyone to leave the room. So I was just with her in the room and my brother virtually and my cousin. And we were just telling her, like, you've lived your life. You know, you've taken care of us and everything is going to be fine. As much as we, we, we are hurting because we, we can't see you anymore. But we are hurting because cancer has really taken so much of your energy, has put so much hard like a pain in you we want you to go we want you to go and rest and i remember at that moment there was there was like a chill in the room because all she did is her eyes kept on moving around the room and there was a chill that ran down my spine and i just told my cousin let's just go and i remember i got into a deep sleep adele at five for five minutes five minutes of deep sleep when i woke up i saw my aunt calling me to the room and i walked into the room and my mom was gone so she didn't even want us to see her go and i remember very well my aunt sat me down when she told me she's gone and she just told me nadia look at me and i looked at her and i remember my aunt tell uh, telling me to recite some few prayers and i think not i think i believe it was those prayers that gave me the strength to be able to now make sure everything was okay. And Adele, after a few moments, after like she passed on and we covered her face, when we uncovered her face, she had a big smile on her face. My mom had the biggest smile I've ever seen. And that was what really comforted me because I was like, she's left smiling, knowing that everything is gonna be okay because we have everything going on. And so for us, we usually bury right then then so we did everything we buried and adela didn't cry until on the third day when we had prayers and we had lunch with family and that was the day i cried like a baby i will never forget that day in my life because i just felt so overwhelmed i went into the room my mom's best friend came to me she held me and when she held me adele i just broke down so much and until today every day as we speak i'm even breaking down the other week whenever i'm if i hear a song i break down grief doesn't have a manual okay one minute i'm fine i'm smiling i have my lipstick on i'm really delivering speeches and i'm talking and i'm, and I'm working and i'm putting my a game on the next minute i'm i'm crying i'm breaking down I've had situations where Adele, I have cried in the toilet. I have washed my face, powdered up my face and really came back and sat through a very high level meeting. And if I'm asked, I say, 
I have a flu or I have a reaction. Then later, the people that I really trust, I tell them this is what happens. So when it gets tough, I usually just, I openly tell, you know, if it's my CS, I tell him. If it's the people I'm working with, I tell them. I tell them I'm not okay. I tell them this is what happened. So every time, like when it's almost 5th of June today, and so funny, I'm just realizing it that today is 5th of October. It marks five months since my mom left. So every fifth of every month, it's a very emotional time for me. Grief just hits you when you least expect it. And when it does, you have to be ready to one, accept it. And two, know that people around you should also make it okay. I think um, one of the top mantra is really just being you, like owning you and just being great at it. Just accept who you are. Just accept that that situation that you're in. You see, even for me, whether it's now the, the situation that I'm in or before when, when I didn't have a job and I was still juggling and I was still looking at ways and things to do, just accept it. And then second, a second mantra that I've, I've, I've really built on and I've really gotten is being unapologetic with your emotions, being apologetic with, unapologetic with your well-being with your mental capacity. I mean, yes, everyone has a blueprint of how, oh, you shouldn't do this, you should do this. And I talk to a lot of young people and and they're all about, oh my God, there's so much that I need to do that my mental health comes in second or third. And that's not the case. Like at the end of the day, if you're not mentally stable, no matter what opportunity that you get, no matter what thing that you do, you're just not going to make it. So you just have to be unapologetic at everything. You can actually just do it if you are self-aware of what you really are into. You know, trust, belief, uh, drive, ambition, it comes from yourself. It comes from believing in, in who you are and just, you know, standing firm for what it is that you want to achieve. But I embrace every flaw. I embrace every fear. I embrace every disappointment and I embrace every achievement. Why? Because these are the things that really built the foundation of who Nadia is today. Let's allow ourselves to make mistakes. Let's allow ourselves to feel sad, to feel anxious, to feel disappointed. If we do that, then we train our system to understand that the world is not really a flat line. Today you're happy, tomorrow you're sad. Today you have a job, tomorrow you don't. Today you're struggling, tomorrow you're not. Today you're married, tomorrow you're not. Like, it's different things. It is okay not to be okay. It is okay to, to have depression, to feel depressed. It's okay to go out and seek uh, a therapist. Or it's okay to just cry. I mean, we're having this, this thing, this interview right now on the podcast... And I've been crying and I have to go for a meeting and it's fine because I'm not a machine. I'm a human being. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. Oh man, I hope you loved that story as much as I did. Uh, the moments where she was talking about grief, I was nodding my head so furiously when we were recording it because the spontaneous crying. Where? I remember when my mom passed away, I was working at 1FM. That was my first official radio job. And I only took two weeks two weeks off of work you know she's died and there's meetings in the house and there's the burial I only took two weeks off when I got back to work eh, it was so hard and at the time I didn't have a co-host 
It was so hard. I remember one day crying when I got to the reception and the receptionist was just like, what has happened to you in the lifts? <laughs> Who has hurt you? What has happened? And there were moments where in studio, I would just burst out crying. Like while people are hearing songs, me, I'm crying. And then when the song ends and it's time for me to speak, I would like speak, go into a song, cry again. Like my producer just was not sure of how to handle the entire situation. He was one of those guys who freezes when he sees a chick crying. But also I do in his defense, I do also understand how watching somebody battle grief can be paralyzing because the only thing that's going to make it all right for them is if this person comes back from the dead and they're not about to do that. So you were just like, how do I make this better? Yeah, but it was, it was, it was very hard and I couldn't articulate that fresh into grief what I was, I was going through. Now I can, now I'm less bothered by oh you know if people see me cry it's gonna lead to a conversation no I just don't give a damn like (laughs) when the tears have come they have come and we are all going to sit with these tears so yeah I completely identified with a lot of the stuff she talked about especially around grief and if you want to connect with Nadia she's pretty active on Instagram and she's just good energy so I've put a link to her Instagram page in the description of this episode if you want to share your story as well on this podcast all you have to do is record a one minute story demo tell me a bit about the story you want to share and send that via whatsapp to the legally clueless hotline number, which is plus two five four seven six eight six two eight seven nine zero. That's also the number you can send your audio notes to if you hear something on this podcast that you absolutely relate with and you want to talk about it. Imagine <laughs> this space is for us. Hi Adele. I always say I'm gonna send in a voice note, but I never do. I've been a fan of Legally Clueless for the longest time. I feel like I was one of the first people to discover your podcast. I mean, I remember old episodes, like the lady who had bought her boyfriend at the time, curtains worth 60,000. Your episodes have made me laugh, made me cry, made me think. So it's really been a pleasure. This voice note is actually for Mercy. I found her story really powerful. I personally think that the universe is trying to nudge her in the direction of her passions, her true passion, which seems to be journalism and the humanities. And I want to encourage her to have the courage to to pursue those those interests with as much vigor as she's trying to pursue the finance and the accounting and not be afraid to give the journalism route all that she has and thank her for sharing her story oh man thank you so much those are such kind words i will definitely make sure i send that to mercy and in case you're wondering what story she's talking about It's a story by Mercy that you can find in episode 88 of this podcast. And it was quite true. It was a very powerful story. So make sure you check it out in case you haven't. And I really do appreciate all the messages that you send onto the Legally Clueless hotline number. And again, I must apologize that I take quite a long time to respond to everybody, but it's because I want to personally respond (laughs) to each and every one of you and want to be present when I'm responding. Man, you should see me when I'm responding to your messages. (laughs) Frankincense burning. 
<laughs> setting the mood. <laughs> no, but seriously though, thank you so much. And do remember, this podcast has new episodes every single Monday. And you can also catch it on Trace Radio in Kenya every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 9 a.m. and at 8 p.m. Just go over to traceradio.co.ke. And now I must end the episode because... Ugh, Y'all, let me just bitch for like two seconds. Our apartment block has just gotten so noisy that I now need to change my production shifts completely to like nighttime when all the noisemakers are asleep. Y'all know about the kids in the hood. Especially Ayub, who just learned his name and has decided to sing it nonstop. <sighs> then there's my neighbor and her water pump that she turns on forever. <sighs> Like, how much water are you pumping, sis? How much? Now, we have a new noisemaker who is our new nighttime guard. Oh my god, that man talks so much. Like, right now, he's here because the shift, there's a shift changeover happening. This man is speaking so loudly. I have told him three times, please reduce your volume. Like, I'm not even telling you, because the story sounds like it must be hot. <laughs> So I'm not telling you not to talk. I'm just saying, A, can you please talk away from this particular window? And if you don't want to do that, can you just like reduce, Germany, reduce the volume? <sighs> Vent over, episode over. <laughs> Thank you for being part of the Legally Clueless fam. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.